and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and today I have a special guest for you, Michael Tucker, an associate producer at Double Fine Productions in San Francisco. Michael is an awesome guy. We first met when I was an intern at Pixar, and he was a production assistant working on The Good Dinosaur. He has a lot of great stories and a lot of excellent insight about having the right mindset for the job, and also about being really kind to people, being able to network, and not being afraid to ask questions. I know that all of you out there will enjoy the episode. So without further ado, on with the show. I just want to tell you, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a lot of fun recording people. And I especially wanted to interview you because you were really nice to me when I was interning and very helpful, especially on days when I did not know what was going to happen. That's, I mean, I think that's just every day for everybody. Uh, And the people who seem like they know what's going to happen are just more used to sort of keeping that face going, but no one ever knows. That's what's part of the fun of production. I'm glad that you thought I was nice because sometimes like at the end of a day, you feel so stressed. You always wonder like, you know, like was I a jerk in this situation or not? So it's nice to hear that sometimes when you are nice, it does show to someone. You were never a jerk. You were always very kind and assaged my fears because I had (laughs) days when I would go to work and think, I'm going to get fired. I don't know how to handle all the things they want me to handle. What am I doing? And it was really, really reassuring when Uh I remember in particular one time you just sat down and you were like, oh no, that totally happened to me. Let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you what happened with this meeting or what happened with this other thing over here. And and I'm still here and they didn't fire me and and you'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of, I mean, not even just our job, but I think professionalism is you're going to screw up. It happens. It's going to happen. And it's almost like a countdown to when it's going to happen next. But you can't really, A, like live in fear of anticipating that. But also, like, you, even when it does happen, it's all about how you handle it as well. There's a certain amount of feeling bad when you've screwed up. But really, it's, it's, a, it's a time for you to go... And show everyone like, okay, the screw up is done. This is the situation. How do we deal with it from here? And a lot of what it shows is how you can compensate for a situation like that. Um, and that was something that Trisha, who you remember from Pixar, that was kind of like something that she really drove home as well. Uh, she was a great teacher about this kind of stuff of the mess up itself is never so bad. It's how you deal with it. That is kind of what will make or break you. I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. And you had told me that and a couple other people there told me that as well. It's, you know, you basically need to apologize, remain calm, and then say, all right, here's what happened. Here's how I'm going to fix it. And then fix it. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's just taking the bull by the horns, basically. So let's let's back up a little then, because I, I like to start at the beginning with folks and find out, you know, what was their path to get them to where they are. So, uh, Michael, where are you from? I went to school in San Jose, uh, and I went there and studied animation. And the animation program in San Jose is a little, it's a little different from most places because it's a public school. uh, And it's also uh, not the best funded art 
program in a public school. But what makes up for it is that the faculty and the the animation club there are kind of psycho. So everyone's like got a hundred times more enthusiasm than they have any right to have. And everyone there helps each other out. And so so the program itself is pretty brutal. It takes about five to six years to get through minimum, no matter how good anyone is, because they kind of they teach you a whole breadth of stuff and how to work together. And then they really focus you on your discipline for the last two years. And they they have portfolio reviews set up throughout, so you have to show certain amounts of progress to keep moving forward. But it's also like it's it comes with your other GE classes that you have to take at a public school. So it's a little bit slower, but the benefit is that they push you incredibly hard and the faculty themselves do their best to make sure that the student body is pretty closely bound to one another. So everyone, no one goes off onto like a, a looking out for themselves kind of mentality. Everyone tries to help each other out. And then as each class graduates, that's a whole handful of people that the upcoming class knows or at least has had some significant amount of interaction with. And just over the years, as I was getting ready to graduate, I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of really incredibly hardworking people who had a lot of great advice, had a lot of good connections, and uh, the faculty themselves helped me out. And from there, my last year, I got the internship at Pixar, which turned into a job there. What was some of the advice that they gave you that really helped you out? Primarily, you were mentioning earlier, being nice is incredibly important. I think the way that a lot of people put it is don't be a dick. Uh, but, you know, it's however you read it. You know, you can look at it from one side or the other. But the thing that really matters is just that your impression, the impression you make on other people is what is going to define your career more than anything, like way more than your skill. You know, your skill is, is whether or not you can do the job, but it's really not so much about whether or not you get the job. Like somebody incredibly nice who has no skills can probably calm their way into a job and probably will definitely get discovered along the way. But somebody who is incredibly brutal to work with and leaves no impression or just wants nothing to do with anybody, but who is incredibly skilled, I found from just experience or people you meet along the way that that makes every step of the way a lot harder. You know, like even if if you are looking for somebody, if you need somebody and you know someone who who there is no doubt in your mind that they can do the gig, if they're a pain to work with, you're really, really going to hesitate recommending them or sort of putting them up front to satisfy the need that you have for that job. And so just trying to be interested in, in meeting people and, and enjoying the people you work with goes really far. Because, I mean, it's not just a professional aspect as well. Like, it, we're very social people. Uh, being a person, even, even being around artists, we all do really incredibly exciting things. So being around people who are excited to talk about that as well is, is something you'd want in your life. So I've just found that being nice is incredibly helpful. And that's something that was often repeated to me all the way through school. Uh, and it's just kind of reaffirmed itself more and more over the years. And you also mentioned too that the program's really tough and it typically takes five to six years for people to go through. Why is that? What is it about the program and two that you really focus your last two years? And I was wondering what your focus was for those last two years. So the program itself, I mean, everybody questioned that too. Everybody who goes in, 
you know, they're like, I'm going to get through it in four years. Oh, I'll just have to work harder. And I, maybe my entire time there, one person did that. The way it's structured is that this program, uh, because it's public school and it's not an art school that you have to apply and be at a certain skill level to get into already, they kind of set up like a tiered structure that trains everybody at to the same degree in the same pace. So it's a lot of like boot camp like art fundamental classes at the beginning where it's just nonstop drawing, nonstop work. And whether you're incredibly great already or you're somebody who can barely draw at all, it pushes you through just doing the hours and learning how to break things down and a lot of just basic art concepts for about two to three years. The first two years are a lot of drawing stuff, a lot of perspective and sort of learning the tools of being an artist. And then you learn a little bit more of like rendering and, and painting and aspects of light during the, the part right after that. And that's usually when the program hits its midterm portfolio review. And that is just portfolio submission that you have to compile your work in and turn it in in order to move up to sort of the, the more advanced classes in the program. Um, and that's just to show that you have been studying and that you are ready for like the, the second half of the program. And at that point, people start splitting up and taking classes that are more specific to the discipline they want to go in, whether that is concept art, storyboarding, animation, 3D modeling, or a couple other variants that are somewhat related to those things. And for me, it was a little bit of jumping around. So from when I started up until about my last year there, I was a thousand percent animation. You know, like animation uh, entirely is everything that I love. Uh, it's exciting. It's, you know, it's, it's acting and, and building up these characters and it's performance and, you know, it's entertaining people in the most fun, insane way possible. But going through this, this long program, you know, the fact that it is so long, a lot of people get antsy and deal with, deal with that in their own way. Uh, and for me, I, I got very antsy because I wanted to make things. You know, I didn't want to spend five years doing other projects that were given to me, which is kind of a bad temperament for anybody who wants to, to go into industry where they will perpetually be working on stuff for people. But for me, going through school after a while, I got really antsy to start doing my own projects. And the idea was I would do those and I would make the stuff that I wanted to animate on because I felt like I wasn't being given that in school because school is a training thing, right? So uh, naturally you won't be given your dream projects to work on, but I wanted to try to figure out how to get closer to that. So I started making these, I started working with people on their projects, their extracurricular projects at school, whether they were shorts or whatever. And then eventually I started trying to figure out how to do game projects because I would just meet with people who are very proactive and I would mention my desires and, and they would get excited, which would get me excited back. And at some point we just reached a point where we're like, yeah, you know, let's try to do that. Let's figure it out. And so I started to try to do game projects and, you know, being a student and you're trying to do something new, you immediately get in over your head. And so, so there was, you know, there was a first project which got really far. There was like a lot of fun stuff to see in it, but we didn't know how to finish it. And so after a while, we eventually just called it, took everything we learned and then try to do it again, you know? Uh, and then there was a scaling issue on the second project where it got really cool. We got a lot of stuff in the engine and we learned a ton. And again, I did not know how to finish it. 
So we archived that as well. And then going into my third year, like I had realized from those previous projects, as fun as they were to work on and uh, show off and get all of this feedback on, all of my time was spent working with people to guide them into getting what I want. So there was a lot of like feedback sessions and a lot of understanding what somebody is hearing when I would tell them something and then try to figure out how to communicate what I actually wanted to them in a way where they would get it. And I actually, I really, I really like that. Like to me, the, one of the few things that were greater than toiling over this animation and getting this performance that somebody else may react to was talking to somebody about something you picture, uh, helping them get everything they need to go work on it, and then coming back later to see what they deliver. And not just seeing that the thing in your head realized, but also getting more from it because they're way better at what they do than you are. And I really love that. So I like that idea of communicating. And I, I took that and did a couple months of thinking maybe storyboarding was the route I wanted to go because it is a little bit more of visual communication and, and giving it, it's, it's like a guide of something you would give to people to help guide them as they built the final thing. And then when it came to the final year where that's kind of the portfolio year of school, uh, I just went completely production. A, because I'd spent the past couple of years doing other projects that I, I hadn't been training artistically, but also I knew that I would probably just regardless of what I ended up studying, I would probably spend the rest of my life trying to hustle people who are better than me into doing things that I thought would be worth their time and to do the things that I just really wanted to see exist. And so I know production doesn't entirely entirely offer that. Like it's, it's a, entirely a support role, which I feel like good leadership is entirely supportive of a great team. And I, I felt ultimately like this was the route that I would need to take to, to get to do what I ultimately would want to do. And so I've been doing that ever since. And then during my last year of school, we had a connection with UC Santa Cruz who had a, a game design program, a graduate game design program. And that was run by uh, John Romero and Brenda Romero, who are huge icons in the games industry. So it was amazing that we had this connection with them. And our faculty at our school in San Jose, they kind of hated games because they came from an old school film background. And so they looked at that as, as the pinnacle of artistic pursuit within the creative industry. And from their point of view, uh, games were kind of generic or derivative and that if you pursued something that is of the quality of what you would see in film then you could probably pretty easily uh, translate that into kind of the generic stuff you would see in games so but they knew that i was one of like the huge game nerds in school uh, and they liked me a lot despite having some dis differences in opinion about the quality of games and so they asked me to help out in producing the projects that we would do with the UC Santa Cruz School with the Romeros. And somehow I impressed them through uh, my work with helping out with the teams that they offered me an internship. Uh, and that was kind of a dream because Brenda Romero is a very strong voice for women in the games industry currently. She's a great producer uh, and she's made a lot of, I don't know if I would call them experimental or art games, but they're relatively notable. Um, and then John Romero, he is the one of the original creators of this game called Doom, 
which was this, you know, old violent game from the 90s that was really groundbreaking despite being like something that parents hated in the 90s. It's totally bloody and violent and you look at it now and it's so pixelated that you almost wonder how how anybody felt that that was too much. But I mean, you also, you know, you, you totally see it and you can see why it would be controversial because there was nothing like it at that time. Um, wasn't it the course, was like it the we, first first person shooter game or was it just one of the first? It was ones? one of the first first person shooter games. It was definitely the most advanced when it came out, but it was also the first first person shooter that had this death match mode, which is where you know multiple people would play, you know, and basically just try to blow each other up. Uh, and that's kind of like a staple of the games industry now. But that was something that John Romero and the like six other people at id software at that time that's something that they invented so i remember playing that game when i was eight or something and now i got to work with him and he's one of the smartest people i've ever met they both him and brenda both are incredibly intelligent but here i was somehow getting to work with them and not really knowing too much about formal game or software development but i, I you know i worked with them for about a month or month and a half when I got the offer from Pixar. And they were so incredibly kind enough that they told me that uh, I should pursue that. And if it didn't work out, they would welcome me back, which, you know, was like the greatest offer I felt like I could ever receive. But then, you know, I went over to Pixar and it was so drastically different going to a, a huge notable place like that, that I learned a lot there and, you know, met a ton of wonderful people, uh, you know, eventually that's where you and I uh, would meet. And I was there for a couple of years and that was really, really great. And then after a couple of years, I was on The Good Dinosaur while I was there. And after a couple of months, I ended up in the, the animation department on The Good Dinosaur. And about almost a year ago now, about nine, 10 months ago, there was an opening here at Double Fine in San Francisco which was another studio I'd always loved, always dreamed about working. You know, I'd always bug my friends. That was one of the one of the top two choices I would have in school of anywhere I could go if I could work at a game studio. You know, there was there was this place called Valve or Double Fine, and you know I couldn't pick one or the other. So it was, if I could ever get to either of them, I would be happy. Uh, and somehow I lucked out again and got to double fine you know like I, I tricked them into hiring me and i've been here ever since that's uh, fantastic that yeah, is really great fun. that you had a chance to work with brenda and john and now you're working at one of the studios that had always been your dream yeah no it's i do feel constantly ridiculously lucky but yeah i mean sometimes I, I it does feel like i'm more fortunate than i should be for having an art degree without really focusing in art so when you know i just use that as an excuse to try to remind myself to just be incredibly nice to people because i because it would just it makes more sense to me i don't feel like a lot of people get to be somehow as lucky as i get to be so i should just not be a jerk you know, somehow it motivates that. Well, it's a testament to your hard work, too, because I know that you work very hard at, you know, making think, sure that things are done correctly, that people know what's going on, that people know where to go. You know, you offer advice and help people. So part of it 
maybe luck, but a lot of it, I believe, is just really dedicated hard work. Yeah, it, you know, you never know how how that mixture is going to come together for you, um, because we work in an industry of people who work incredibly hard. There is never a shortage of people who work insanely hard, and even from school, there are a lot of incredibly talented, incredibly hardworking people that I know that have had a harder time finding gigs that are really worthy of how good they are, and it's you can never tell like whether if something pays off whether it's your hard work or whether it's something good that you did in the past that somehow is paying off now or if it is just pure happenstance of something opening them up opening up to have to to be the need of what you are able to satisfy and these whole things come together in an unpredictable pattern and somehow i've been lucky enough to be at the right place when instances have shown up that have the need of something that I can satisfy. So I try to just constantly, constantly earn it. And hopefully doing that and continuing to be nice to people means that when my luck eventually does start to run out a little bit, I will have gotten in the good graces of somebody who will be able to, to help out as well. You know, like you're never always, you're, you can't constantly be fatalist of when it runs out, I have to be prepared, but you do have to always sort of enjoy uh, the the current situation, constantly work incredibly hard, and then you know just be ready for change if it does occur. I like that you mentioned enjoying it while it lasts too, because mm-hmm. you're right. Sometimes people have this feeling of things are going great, which means very soon everything is going to go downhill, and that's not a good way to go because then you're not enjoying the good times you have. But it's also smart that you're looking ahead and that you know that no job lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. Eventually things come to an end. Sometimes they come to an end when we're ready for them. Sometimes things come to an end and, you know, we weren't ready. You know, a company closes or the project shuts down or something happens. So it's just good to be prepared. Yeah. And that's also, um, you know, dealing with those emotions, I think, from a production standpoint, it's not necessarily part of the responsibilities of a production person, but part of, I think, one of the things that they, they should constantly be looking at, not just for themselves, but for their team. Because, you know, production deals with you know, a certain amount of things that are directly outlined for, that are your responsibilities. But overall, it is anything that will help a production run smoother or be better or get more done. And knowing that you feel this way, you also have to keep an eye out for it for the team members, you know, for the artists or, or the, the technical people or the, the creatives. You know, there are a lot of times at Pixar or here at Double Fine, you know, where I've seen people get uh, hung up on either problems or uh, roadblocks in their work, and it affects them emotionally. And you know that if they aren't feeling it or if they're feeling negative feelings, then their work ultimately is going to be either less energetic, partially half-hearted, or otherwise suffer. And so seeing that, uh, you, you kind of, in my point of view, that is a great time to step in and talk to them and like find out what is their actual issue and to see if that's something that you can address. And sometimes people just are a little bit 
depressive, you know, like there are, there are some people in the industry who, you know, just do get negative feelings sometimes. And in situations like that, when there's people like that on my team, I just love talking to them about why I'm excited to be a part of, you know, what we're working on, the ways that I am, uh, and try to, to see if that reminds them that in the end, like we're doing really cool stuff that is being made for the entertainment of other people. And what constantly gets me excited, even on stressful situations, like, you know, today is my fourth weekend in a row coming into work. But I just think of when I was a kid, the games that I would get to play when I would have some free time and how magical and fun and exciting they were. And now I'm here working long hours and on weekends, but this is one of the studios that, that made a magical game that I got to play. And, and I think about younger me playing this thing and enjoying it. And now I'm here and I think like, well, this is the work that I get to do on the next thing that is going to be that to some other kid. And hopefully maybe one of those kids will be somebody who can make something even cooler for the next set of kids, or that maybe even I will get to play. And taking that kind of perspective and, and talking with people about it from that point of view, uh, I find sometimes it's helpful as well. And so when I realize that that enthusiasm is partially one of my unoutlined responsibilities, I am reminded that I do enjoy doing this. When did you become aware that animation and video games was a job that you could have as a kid? I don't know. I don't actually know where that line was crossed because I, I just kind of had the fascination with these things already, you know, from, from the very beginning. For me, I was like sitting on the, the floor of my parents' basement playing Mario. And then I would watch all these Disney cartoons and then I would play games and I would watch more cartoons. And that was just the always fascination for me. Um, and then you go through school and, you know, I'm still doing those things through high school. And I dig them a lot. And, you know, at some point, you know, you get the push from your folks to study a thing you want to do and, you know, start thinking about your future and all that stuff. And I just kind of never stopped thinking about games and cartoons. So at, at one point there was that choice being made, but it was really like a path of least resistance because these things were already on my mind. And I just kind of drifted where having these things on my mind took me. You know, and so I know there was one point where I was wondering if programming was the right thing. I took some programming in high school and I did okay, but it wasn't the creative, excited, talkative part of game making or cartoons that interested me. You know, I'd always loved writing through school and I enjoyed drawing, but I knew I sucked at it. And somehow I found San Jose, which uh, seemed to directly address that sort of uh, weakness, but interest. And so I just, I, w I wouldn't say drifted, but very deliberately drifted in that direction. But, you know, I, I didn't know. Like, I, I really just kind of looked at what seemed most natural to me. And that was exactly what seemed most natural to me, even though I ended up drifting towards production while I was in school for that. You know, it's, I always kind of just pursue learning at whatever draws my attention or whatever whatever I'm most compelled to learn. And so even though I went to this incredibly brutal art school for a number of years and ended up going in a production route, 
you know, I feel like I never could have done production if I didn't learn everything I learned there. You know, a lot, a large chunk of my job is talking with artists. And so, so meeting them directly on their level is, is something that I think is valuable in my interactions with them. And what's great about production as well is I'm constantly talking with people who are more specialized or more masterful in the disciplines that we discuss. So it's just a great place to be where I can continue to learn. You know, I'm constantly the dumbest person in a room because everyone else are masters in their particular discipline. And I have to talk to all of them. And for me, that's just a great drive to, to talk and find out all of these things I don't know, and then go home and, you know, hit the books or hit Wikipedia and then, you know, go down that well and browse all these sites and try to learn all these terms I hadn't heard before or all these techniques. And it's just like the greatest excuse to learn as much as possible. But it was just a natural drift towards my temperament. And when you were in school, how did you decide between games and features? Because you had an t- opportunity to work in both. Was, was your thinking, I definitely want to go into games? Or was it, I want to go into movies? Or was it more of, this is just what I want to do and whichever one comes first is great? Yeah, that, that was an a interesting one because to me, it was always only ever both. Everybody else that I had ever met always seems to have strong opinions about the merits of one versus the merits of the other. And regardless of what side of the fence they're on, they feel like it is it, not even black and white, but they're pretty resolute in their thinking of the, the merits of whichever one they're more in favor of. For me, I absolutely love both. I gain my, one of my first memories is playing Mario. And so games have been with me my entire life and conceptually games are amazing. You know, it's, uh, it's this virtual world that is built for the entertainment and you actually get to have direct input through this input device on this artificial world that somebody else has made. And things aren't directly set as they are in movies where a movie, the, the final images are made and they are unchanging. Games are, are really robust because it's, they don't make very, very set things. They just put rules in this virtual world and then you have complete freedom as the player. And so the idea of that, of that creation of a facade of a world or of an actual minuscule world is amazing and incredible and futuristic to me. And games are only getting more and more robust. Whereas film, it is much more locked in, but at the same time, the the craftsmanship is amazing and incredible. And every single frame for well-made movies are, are designed, you know, and thought out. And they may be the facade of a world and there may be nothing beyond what actually hits the screen. Whereas for games, whatever's on the screen at one given point, there's still so much more that actually does exist in the game world beyond the edges of the screen. But the fact that movies can can tell so much in a given frame when literally nothing exists beyond the outside of the frame uh, is incredible to me. And additionally, I loved how movies could can communicate stuff about themes and emotions and and narratives that people never have done in games. You know, like if you watch foreign films, you get these deep, meaningful experiences and you get it in in a certain amount of American films as well. 
but you can have stuff that if somebody asks you like what's it about and it kind of gets hard to talk about you're like well it's you know it's about like feelings of loneliness or you know trying to find connection with somebody when the world feels like this whereas a game you know you'd be hard pressed to find games that elegantly communicate themes that are that complex you know games oftentimes are primarily about fun and so for me in the end like i love like in a, in a primal sense of like why people tell stories, but also why people play games. Like to me, both of those things have followed humanity always, you know, like, like even animals play games, like they'll, like wild animals will spar with each other and rough house. And those are a kind of game and humans have told stories for as long as there's been human history. And both of those things have followed people all throughout culture and for me like that makes them both enormously fascinating and so i just always refuse to choose you know if somebody said i love movies more than games because of this i agree with them and if somebody says i love games more than film because of this i also agree with them uh, and i say like that is exactly why i love that and then this person feels that on the opposite end and i completely agree with them and so i i couldn't choose and i i constantly feel that they both could learn a lot from each other. And not everything that one medium does can apply to the other, but I I like being excited and learning as much as I can about both and seeing where both of them are gonna be in 20, 40, 100 years. Uh, And hopefully I can find a lot of incredibly talented people to latch onto and somehow be a part of that. And so that's just kind of how I chose. I, I just didn't choose. I found whatever was offering a role that I could satisfy in my career. And if it was someplace that I thought I could learn a lot about, I would pursue that. And so in school, when we would do all of our drawing stuff, you know, we'd study, they would give us artists to draw illustration. Our school was very adamant about studying classic illustrators. But at the same time as an animation student, I felt it was my duty to take that as being a student of film. So I would watch, I watched hundreds of films in school. You know, I would, I would go to the library when I had no money and I would get like three films a week, certain guidelines to make sure I hit a certain amount of variety and force myself to watch them. And then, you know, I just naturally played games. So I was basically studying a lot of game stuff as well. And then I just kind of went wherever I naturally drifted with that being my core temperament. And somehow, it, you know, it still paid off for me. I like what you said. I like your perspective on that because there is this dichotomy I found between people that want to work in television and film versus games. Even, I mean, even just posing that question like TV and film versus games, it's interesting that people consider that there is this versus this when you are creating stories and you are making something for people. Yeah. And What's really cool about the creative industry, especially with the internet, is that there are so many um, subcultures and subgenres of both games and film that whatever your philosophy is about which is better or why the one you pick is better, somebody is making something that satisfies that niche. And every type of thing has an audience out there somewhere that you can reach either through the internet or through traditional distribution means. 
And so it's really cool to see the breadth of stuff that's being made. I know that there are some game companies that try to make games more like film. They're not always good, but some people are pretty damn near to mastering that kind of presentation of video games. Uh, and it's great because that is the type of game that I would never ever make, or I would, I would probably never even want to be a part of a company that would focus on stuff being made in that way. But I'm glad that there's somebody making stuff like that. And there are people in film, there have always been, that are experimenting, finding new interesting ways of communicating, whether they become fads of filmmaking for a few years, or they become a new tool in the tool set of traditional big time movie makers they help expand the scope of the way people communicate, you know? And it's exciting to see that there are, it's exciting that there are so many people of such varied opinion trying to create things from their own point of view of how things should be made or could be made, that there's always so many new things to learn or experience. And that Double Fine in particular, I love it here because our founder, he came, he, he came from LucasArts, that's where he sort of got his start. Uh, his name's Tim Schaefer. He wrote a lot of funny stuff in the old LucasArts days where uh, they made games like Monkey Island or Day of the Tentacle. And he would just write funny, entertaining things that even if the gameplay itself is pretty straightforward, you know, you would click on something and your guy would walk over to it and say something. No, that's not so much of a game as it is a medium for telling a story. And so our founder, he he kind of pulls a little bit from traditional script writing for film, as well as using the medium of game to tell stories in a, a slightly more interactive, uh, slightly more not so direct for two hours kind of way. And so there's a lot I get to learn here as well, uh, since the studio has been founded by somebody who comes from that background, which already itself is pretty diverse and borrowing from both mediums. All right. That's very cool. I like Monkey Island. I loved that game. As oh, a yeah. I used to play that game all the time with my dad. My favorite part was the fact that when you were sword fighting, part of the way that you succeeded in the fight was how well you were able to trash talk the other player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that was, I can't remember how the breakdown is for the Monkey Island games. I don't know if you worked on all of them, but Tim and uh, a couple other guys who he, we still work with, they come from those days. You know, they wrote those games and a handful of the other LucasArts adventures. And so it's really great to be around people of that background where are they traditional game writers? Because game writers now are trying to remake blockbuster movies in a game sense. And movies are trying to become more viscerally satisfying, like, blockbuster games are. But these guys, they come from an era 20-something years ago where nobody really even still knew what games were. They knew they made a lot of money, but LucasArts was just this undervalued part of Lucas, you know, which were known for their films far and away more than they were known for their games. So these guys, they just wrote amazing stuff that really wasn't a part of a genre that existed yet. It was a part of a medium that barely could even have audible dialogue. And they wrote some pretty groundbreaking stuff. And so that's really cool to me. And what's really great to me now is uh, the first project that I was on here at Double Fine is this game called Day of the Tentacle, which was an adventure game I had never played before. 
what I had heard about, but it's great because it's inspired by Chuck Jones cartoons. It's a total like weird nineties cartoon style game. And it was written by Tim. So it's really uh, Tim and this uh, guy, Dave Grossman, who's also a hilarious writer. And it's great to me because it's like, I get to work on a game that's a cartoon in the style of Chuck Jones, no less, that is hilariously written. And that is incredibly fortunate. And then recently we announced we're working on a remake of a game called Full Throttle, uh, which is another well-known old school adventure game that Tim created. And that's exciting too, because that's a really, really fun one as well. And that concludes part one of my interview with Michael Tucker. Special thanks to Michael for coming on the show. And I'll include the link for the YouTube documentary on Double Fine in the show notes so that all of you can check that out. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to go to iTunes and subscribe and to also leave a review. All of those reviews help more and more people to find the show. And thank you to everyone who has left a review so far. I greatly appreciate it. Also, if you would like to donate to the show, you can visit the website www.theanimatedjourney.com and click on the PayPal button on the right-hand column of the site. Every little bit helps, and it helps to keep the show up and running and to pay for hosting costs. And I'd just like to thank everyone who has donated so far for that. I appreciate that as well. Also, make sure to check out our sponsors for the show. Our newest sponsor is Loot Crate. And for those of you out there who enjoy getting awesome items every month, we're talking t-shirts, keychains, hats, comic books, and the like, Loot Crate is your place to go for the best in geek and nerd and pop culture entertainment. They have themes every month, and every month you receive a package delivered right to your door with very cool stuff. It's a lot of fun. And right now they are offering a promotion. So if you click on the banner on the right-hand side of the Animated Journey website and type in the promo code LOOTER3, that's L-O-O, TR3, you will get $3 off your first order. So make sure to take advantage of that. Also, if you're going to be shopping on Amazon, if you're looking for your next audiobook, or if you're interested in hosting a podcast of your very own, make sure to check out our sponsors on the Animated Journey webpage, Amazon, Audible, and Blueberry website hosting. Every time you click on those banners and do your regular everyday shopping, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And again, thank you to everyone who has supported the show that way. You can also check out what's going on in the world of animation by following the show on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. And on Twitter and Instagram, the handle is at AnimJourney. And also I've set up a Tumblr page. So for those of you who are on Tumblr, you can check that out at www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And you can check out photos and links from the show. And if you're curious to see what I have been up to, you can check out my portfolio website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, it's www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. On Twitter, you can follow me at Sketchy Soul. And on Instagram, you can follow me at Sketchy underscore Soul. So that concludes this week's episode. Tune in next week for part two of the interview with Michael Tucker. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.